Welcome once again to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. I am back once again in my studio of choice, my wife's laundry room. I was in D.C. for the weekend and uh, had a good time there. Um, Some positive things, some negative things. I'll give you a little report about that. It is with your support that I'm able to do these things. And um, a little controversy going on right now on Twitter over a tweet I put out. I was outside the Supreme Court building right after... Uh, Donald Trump announced Amy Coney Barrett as his ideal replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg and got into a discussion with with a couple people. One of them, though, was a self-described political conservative who attended Mark Dever's uh, church or was a member there, Capitol Hill Baptist. Uh, that's what he told me, at least. And um, he's studying for the ministry. Nice guy. Really enjoyed the conversation, but he's politically pro-choice. And so uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. People said online, oh, John, you know, some people did. John, John's slandering this, this guy, uh, Mark Dever, that is, because he's mentioning what church he goes to. And look, here's the thing. I responded late last night, but I'm not sure everyone saw it. Mark Dever teaches on single-issue voting. Now, Mark Dever probably has a more nuanced, he's a, probably a different approach slightly from, from at least this guy. But um, the question is, is Mark Dever's teaching on single-issue voting compatible, or would it at least give you the impression that you could hold the kind of position that uh, this young person held that I talked to uh, outside the Supreme Court building? Could you be pro-choice and say, well, this is what the argument he gave me. Well, everything is, you know, racism is a pro-life issue, and basically insinuating conservatives don't care about race, racism, so he's voting for Joe Biden. That was, that was the logic. So we're going to talk about that. Um, it's, did I mention it's a beautiful day? It is a beautiful day. <laughs> I, I actually took the air conditioners out, opened the windows. It's, it's, you can feel that crisp fall air coming in. So, um, I love it. I love this is this time of year, you know, as, as a kid, I think summer was my favorite. I still like summer, but at the older I've gotten, I've appreciated fall more. I'm not sure if that's something a lot of people I think are like that. Anyway, um, we're going to talk about, about that trip to DC though. We're going to talk about, uh, John Piper. I got some pushback for that interview I did with Enoch uh, Burke on his book on John Piper and Sam Albury and their teachings. And um, I read about half the book. Uh, I read the section on John Piper and I, I need to say something about this. Um, I have, I've read really every resource people are recommending to me. John, you, you know, you're slandering John Piper. You're, uh, this is character assassination, one person said. Um, haven't you seen this or that, you know, this book, this article, this interview with John McCarthy? Yes, I've seen all of them. <laughs> Just so you know, I, I should probably say this about 12, 13 years ago, Piper was the biggest influence on my life theologically, probably, uh, as far as theologians I would read. I've read more John Piper than probably anyone else. Um, I love John Piper. I mean, I would wait for every, every, the books he'd come out. I thought, well, maybe I'll find more resources to fight for joy in the next book he, he, he brings, he, he re, um, releases. I taught the, what's the study he has? Don't waste your life. I've taught that three times. I've led the study in college career context. Um, you know, his, his teachings on his, Tulip, the, the Tulip series he did. Um, I've, I've given that to people years ago. Again, um, his uh, gravity and gladness. I've used that to train uh, worship team leaders, worship um, uh, instrumentalists and singers and, and people on the, on the praise team at church when I was a minister of music. Um, I still like that teaching. So just need to let everyone know, I'm familiar with John Piper and this, the, the thoughts that Enoch Burke was bringing out in his book, many of them, I've been thinking for years now. And I haven't been quite sure how to 
approach it or how to um, uh, how to talk about it because it's definitely it's it's in a different category in my mind than say what we're seeing from uh, you know JD Greer and Thabiti Anabwile and Eric Mason and the list goes on. It's it's different. It's not John Piper's not in that crowd. I don't think John Piper is is necessarily woke, not fully at least. I don't think that John Piper is. Um, in fact, I'll just say this: I haven't called him uh, a a false teacher. Now I know that um, I think Enoch Burke may have called him that. I, I know E.S. Williams uh, has called him that or said he's he's promoting false teaching. In my opinion, the issue with John Piper is emphasis. And by the way, I don't I, I I'm not against those guys because I, I I've heard their logic and rationale of why they come to the conclusion they do. I'm going to share with you a little bit about why I come to the conclusion that I come to. And it very much parallels uh, their concerns. Um, But in my opinion, it is an emphasis thing. It is not, um, I don't think that John Piper necessarily has a fully fledged, systematized false gospel that he's putting out there and and especially knowingly putting out there. I I think with John Piper, um, the danger is that if you take his ideas to the next logical step, you can get there. You can get to that false gospel, or at the very least, you can get to a situation where you've subverted the law of God for this kind of almost semi-mystical understanding of having joy in God. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about my own experience with that, because I was in that for years, um, wreaked havoc on my conscience and what I've learned uh, since then. And then I'm going to... um, I'm going to share with you a little bit about uh, more details about why I have the concerns I do. So we're going to go over that. Um, again, I don't hate John Piper. I don't uh, say throw out all your John Piper books. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you got to be very careful about some of the the emphasis you're taking from his material. Um, if all you get, and I said this in the Enoch Burke interview, if all you get is that we should be more joyful and you take that away, good, good, awesome. Be more joyful, all right? Um, if you're going farther than that, and I'll explain what that looks like, then that, that may not be good. And it may explain why, and I've gotten so many questions about this, why Piper is not going after the social justice movement like MacArthur is going after it. And, and so, um, so anyway, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about also uh, some clips that John MacArthur put out there uh, from Grace Community Church, I think it was yesterday, last Sunday night going after critical race theory. You need to hear it because you need to be encouraged. If you're constantly picking things apart and you're, you're skeptical and you're looking at all these teachers and you're thinking, man, um, you know, there, there, there's just so much false teaching out there. Uh, I mean, look, I <laughs> probably more than a lot of people, I'm constantly critiquing things. People are sending me things all the time. John, what do you think of this? Have you talked about this? Could you do a show about this? Look, you can get cynical. You can get um, very... Uh, <laughs> very negative. Um, it, it is possible. I'm fighting that myself. And, and we need hope. We need to know that, look, just because people like John Piper aren't using his big platform to go after the guys he's previously platformed, <laughs> because he, it's within his power to kill this thing, the social justice thing. It's within Al Mohler's power to kill it. They're not. So why is that? Why aren't they using that? Well, that, could, that, could, that question could really grate on us if it's people that we've respected. But here's the thing. God is bigger than John Piper. God is bigger than Al Mohler. God has his people. God knows what's happening. I believe that. And I cling to that. And we must cling to that. And there are some faithful people out there. And they are telling the truth. One of them was last Sunday night and what John MacArthur said. And I'm going to share it with you to encourage you. Not everyone's sold out on this. Not everyone's quietly opposing it, but not publicly. There are people publicly opposing it, doing the right thing. 
you need to know about it. So we're going to talk about that too, a little bit. So um, let's start with John Piper. Then we'll go to the my DC trip, and um, just thankful to you guys for helping me, me supporting me, so I can do these things. And then we'll talk about uh, John MacArthur. So starting off, uh, let's talk about. I'm going to do this sort of in a roundabout way. Uh, I'm going to parallel two ideas for you. Let's talk about Christian Stoicism. I know you've never heard of that, probably. Um, I have heard the phrase before. This is not the, I didn't, just so you know, I didn't come up with this phrase out of a vacuum. Uh, there was a book I was reading, um, The Vanishing American Adult by Senator, I forget the Senator's name off the top of my head. Uh, Senator, I think from Nebraska. Anyway, it'll come to me. Um, and I think he uses this term, if I'm not mistaken, he uses Christian stoicism, but, but I'm, I'm going to give you, this is my version of Christian stoicism, right? And, and I'm going to give you a little backstory. And, and so this is hypothetical. But uh, let's say that I um, had a real problem obeying the commandments of God, right? Um, I, I, I kind of, my emphasis wasn't on them. My emphasis was on emotional experience. Sound familiar, right? This is like most Christians, uh, self-described Christians in America today. Um, you know, I went to the Hillsong concerts. I, I was trying to, you know, I, I'd read my Bible, I'd pray, I'd, um, I'd seek emotional, especially experience with the Lord. And finally, I realized one day, man, I'm looking at all these, these Bible verses on obedience and submission and self-control. And I, I think to myself, you know, that's a lot like stoicism. Uh, at least in its rudimentary form, the way it's used in common parlance, right? Stoicism is um, delayed gratification, beating your body into submission, uh, making sure that duty and willpower overcome emotion and passion. And I, and I realize that, and I say, I'm seeing stoicism in the Bible. I think the Bible's teaching stoicism. So I'm going to come up with my own teaching, and I'm going to call it Christian stoicism. I'm going to write a book about it um, when I don't obey God, <laughs> maybe, or something like that. And, and here's some of the verses, right? Second uh, Chronicles 30, do not stiffen your neck like your fathers, but yield to the Lord. Okay, we're supposed to, the duty, gotta, you just got to willpower, got to do it. Joshua 24, um, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Got to choose. Romans 6, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its lust. All right, I just got, I got to make a choice. I'm not going to let sin reign. First Corinthians 9, um, everyone competes uh, in the games, exercises self-control in all things. Okay, self-control, look, that that's the chief thing, right? Paul's saying that, you know, Christianity is like a race, and for a race, you need self-control. It's the chief thing. We've got to have self-control. Then um, then it says, they then do it to receive a perishable bereath, but we, an imperishable, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I, here's the word, discipline my body, make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified. Okay, look, look, here, here's the deal, guys. This verse, let's say, opens it all up for me. This verse is saying that, we must, in, in the race of life, in this race, this, we're, we're competing for the prize set before us. We want to make sure that we, we, are, uh, we, we live this life well. We go to heaven on the journey, on the way there. I got to make sure I got self-control. That is essential for this Christian stoicism right there. What do you think? What do you think so far? Sound, sound pretty good? Sound like, now I could bring up a lot of other verses, but... Christian stoicism. All right, and I'm going to have a catchphrase for this. God is most glorified in us when we are most obedient to him. I mean, think about it. Think about it, right? Jesus says that we, uh, how, do, how do we know that we love him, right? Because we're supposed to do that. That's our prime duty to obey the commands of God, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor ourselves. How do we know that? If we keep his commandments, that's what he says. 
You will know that you're my disciples if what? If you bear much fruit. Christian stoicism. We're supposed to obey. All right. What about this? The chief end of God is to glorify God and submit to him forever. Now, John, is that, that blasphemous? Well, I mean, Jesus says that he came to do the will of the Father. He doesn't do anything if it's not what the Father tells him to do. The Holy Spirit doesn't seek his own glory. He seeks the glory of Christ. There, there, there's obedience. That's, in fact, we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. We're supposed to follow his example, right? Obedience, submission. Now, what am I leaving out in all that? Can you tell there's an imbalance in that at all? Yeah, there's an imbalance. Jesus also said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So if I were to take for the joy set before him and make that the pinnacle, or if I were to take doing the will of the Father to be the pinnacle, uh, and that motivates everything, would I be off in some way? If I, if I just didn't, I, did, I didn't talk about the other aspect. I just, I just mentioned one and I called it either Christian hedonism or Christian stoicism. Yeah, I'd be wrong. I wouldn't be giving you a full picture. I wouldn't. I would be giving you part of the picture. There's more to Christianity and Christian life than simply obeying. But obeying is essential to the Christian life, is it not? Yes, it is. Now, if I wrote a book and all you got from it was, well, we're supposed to obey God. And this really helped me understand I need to obey God and submit. And uh, when I don't feel like doing something, I got to do the right thing anyway. I got to beat my body into submission. That wouldn't be bad if that's what you got from it. But then why call it uh, Christian stoicism? It's just what the Bible teaches. It's not anything new. But if I call it Christian stoicism, I am attempting to bring up a term, create a term that is, sets me apart from the pack. Uh, maybe I can write a book and sell a book based on it because what I'm saying is different than what has previously been said. Or I'm packaging it differently. I'm showing you a, a different way of approaching something. Now, if you went to, let's say, the logical conclusion of my Christian stoicism, and you made that the end-all be-all, and everything was just about willpower, what would you become? A Pharisee, would you not? Possibly. If you, if, it's, here, here's the thing. Now, I got to be careful here because <laughs> Pharisee, Pharisaism is subverting the law of the God for the sake of tradition. Uh, it's also, it's trying to find uh, redemption somehow, salvation in fulfilling the law. Now, if you went that far, that, that would be, you're, you're way out in left field, way wrong. But if you just simply became a legalist and um, the only thing that mattered was fulfilling the law, and let's say I, I, I added to it. Let's say I, I you know, well, um, I, I, <laughs> we're going to go fundamentalist on this. Uh, obeying the Lord means uh, there, there's principles in Scripture that you must obey. And you must not, um, uh, let's say, go and watch rated R movies. Uh, you must not, uh, you shouldn't go to a bar. It's setting a bad example. It's the appearance of evil. And I started applying all these principles saying it's about obedience. Well, then you'd be, you'd be in real trouble. You'd be exercising legalism at that point, right? And, and today, that would not be popular. Everyone would reject it. Everyone would reject it if simply I said that the chief end of man is to obey God. They would reject that too. Because modern Christians, uh, so-called Christians in modern evangelicalism, that's, that's not what they're, they're not about that. It would not be a popular philosophy if I tried to craft some kind of Christian stoicism. Stoicism doesn't sell today. But you know what does? Hedonism. Hedonism definitely sells. That's what we're getting from the world. That's the philosophy of the world. So why wouldn't it be a popular thing in the church. Now, 
I could sell some books if I did that. And I'm not saying that's Piper's purpose is to sell books at all. I'm not doing that. I think Piper really, I think he had a real um, awakening. That's the word he uses. I think he really did see that there was something lacking in his life. And I think he wanted to help people. I do think that was his motive. Here's some quotes from Piper. This is Christian hedonism. Chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy himself forever. Okay. Um, does God enjoy himself? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. True. Yeah, I guess that's true to some extent. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Well, is that true? I, I mean, I, we are supposed to be satisfied in God in the sense that we're supposed to have joy. Now, Piper's kind of loose. He uses joy and happiness and, uh, uh, yeah, satisfaction kind of interchangeably. But, you know, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied with him. Yeah, I could go with that, I guess. Um to be born again is to taste that God is more to be desired than anything. That's what he says. Now, you might start to realize at this point, isn't the emphasis a little off here though? I mean, that's those things are important, but is that, I mean, is it a one-to-one -one comparison? Glorification, satisfaction, same thing um, in every sense. Uh, to be born again is to, to taste that God is more to be desired than anything? That's the definition. I mean, I guess I could see that your desires change as you're born again. But what does scripture say? What is? Where do you find this in the scripture? Well, John 3 talks about being born again. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And what does he say it is? It's belief. It's whoever believes will in him has eternal life. That's what being born again is. That's the process. As Moses lifted up the serpent, even so must the son of man be lifted up. It's about faith. Um, so, so we're kind of, we're, we're making a lot of, uh, conclusions based on logical constructs, but we're, we're not using biblical language. We're not going back to the scripture on this and the passages that actually talk about being born again. Um, here's another quote from Piper. You go to hell if you're not happy in God. And he bases this on Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48. Now, if you read the preceding verse, and this is going to be key. Um, I wanted to bring up this verse for a reason, because I think it exposes kind of the, the emphasis problem. You're going to find that it's, it's not, the emphasis is not being joyful here. Let me read it to you. So all these curses shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. They shall become a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with your joy in glad, and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Now, listen to this. First, you have... The problem is you would not obey the Lord, your God, by keeping his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded. Okay, Christian stoicism, right? Let's, you did not, you just didn't fulfill a duty. But hold on. He also says, because you did not serve the Lord, your God, with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. So you weren't actually worshiping with a heart that sought to have joy in, in God. You you, uh, Christian hedonism, we could say there, right? Well, which is it? Which is it? Well, Piper just quotes the, the part that fits his Christian hedonism. But if I just wanted to quote, let's say, uh, verse 45, I would quote the part that fits my Christian stoicism. And is either philosophy going to give you the full picture? The answer is no. That's why I think this is an emphasis problem. And this emphasis problem can manifest itself in other areas, in ways that are problems. Joy is one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. John 15, 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. 
So how is God glorified? That you bear much fruit. Okay. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5. Well, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There it is. Self-control must be Christian stoicism. No. Well, there it is. Joy must be Christian hedonism. Well, no. Through the Spirit is love. And under that umbrella, you have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is part of the law. The principles behind the law, the character of God behind the law are these things. So why is any of this important, especially as it relates to the social justice movement? Well, I'm going to give you a little testimony of my own and explain how I'm approaching this. When I was deeply involved in Christian hedonism and trying to just really drum up joy in myself and disappointed at myself um, because I, I just could not maintain the level of joy. I, I get little glimpses here or there, I felt like, and it was always eluding me. Um, it left me high and dry. It just really, I was so disappointed. I thought the Christian life must just be, it's just impossible, which, which it is. Like you can't actually obey the commands of God either. You can't have perfect joy, but you can't perfectly obey his law. And, and this was a burden. Now, maybe you, you say that was my fault. Well, okay. I know a lot of other people that had the same kind of issue, though. And, um, and, and what essentially was happening was every little thing I looked at in my life, uh, right, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we're supposed to do all to glorify God. Well, that, what that meant because of the Christian hedonism understanding I had was um, I had to just, in a, an abstract way, kind of filter everything through this grid so that in my mind, I would be having joy. So I'd examine myself and I'd navel gaze and I'd think, John, did you have joy when you drank that lemonade? Oh my goodness, you weren't thinking about God. I didn't think about God when I had that lemonade. Um, I guess I guess I didn't have joy. Oh no, Lord, please forgive me, I failed. And and that's, I mean, it's, it, it's a miserable way to live, but I was living that way. I still, I'll be honest with you, I still um, sometimes have that tendency to go back into that and and it's, this isn't the way that we're supposed to live as Christians. Um, Jesus also said, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. Why did he say that? Well, glorifying God isn't necessarily pushing everything through this grid in your mind and trying to sanctify it by, really, that's what's happening. You are the one sanctifying it by some kind of almost mystical incantation, this abstract thing that you're doing by repeating mentally, I'm ha Lord, I'm having joy in this, you know, or I thank you for this. And Lord, please give me joy in this. And, and just, well, who are you focusing on when you try to do that? Yourself. That's who you're focusing on. It's, it's, it's me centered ultimately. And, and that's where you can, that, that, that's where this at least brought me. Um, I was con I was trying to focus on God, but because I knew that um, joy and an emotional joy too was so important. I was always examining myself, looking at myself, wondering, was I joyful enough? How do I get to be joyful? And what I've learned is that you don't focus on yourself. <laughs> you focus on the Lord and the fruit of the spirit is joy. You, you live, you, you, um, you're filled with the spirit, you, which is letting the word of Christ dwell within you. You, um, you, you, you read the Word of God. Um, immerse yourself as much as possible in the Word of God. You can't do it all day. I get that. Um, you pray regularly. You live the Christian life. And yeah, you get your feet dirty in this world and you confess it. But you don't overthink it and you don't 
Um, as, as much as, as you want to be perfect, be perfect for I am perfect, says the Lord, you know you don't achieve that. Paul didn't achieve it. He was an apostle. If he didn't achieve it, I don't think we're achieving it. Not in this life. It comes in the next life. So it's an attitude of being grateful to God. And, and that's why even in sin, I'm just, Lord, thank you. Thank you for, you know, you, you, you've blessed me so much. Um, I, 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 you know, I fell in that moment. I said something I shouldn't have, but you know, I could have fallen so much more. I know you restrained me. Thank you, Lord. Um, you know, thank you, Lord, that uh, you sent your son. And that's ultimately where, where joy comes from is understanding that Jesus has paid my fine. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not good news when you're constantly on that treadmill of trying to make sure that, that you have an experience of joy. So that's just, I'm just throwing that out there personally for, for you who have had a similar experience to maybe the experience I've had. And not everyone has that. I get some people read his stuff, John Piper stuff, and they say, oh, I should have more joy. And they go on and they don't obsess over it. And that's great. Praise God for that. All right. Uh, not knocking that. Um, but what I've inevitably seen happen is that a lot of people influenced by John Piper and David Platt's teaching um, in, in Radical, uh, I'll give you the story. I was at a Desire and God conference years ago at Rick Warren's church. I didn't attend there. I just, I went there for the conference. Um, I lived in California at the time. John Piper was asked the question. I was, I was close to him at the time. He said that they asked him, is it a sin to buy a new car? John Piper said, yes. Now, that was my turning point. That was when I was like, wait a minute, something's off here. Uh, David Platt kind of um, has a similar teaching in Radical. Um, in fact, when I was doing some research on Ron Sider, I found out John Piper had qu- quoted Ron Sider favorably uh, in one of his sermons. And I thought, this is all interesting. This kind of, you know, the American dream is bad. Collecting your seashells by the seashore, bad. You're wasting your life. The implication here, guys, if it's not said directly, the implication is you are in sin for, for, for these, these things, these external actions um, the insinuation is that it's idolatry. Having that picket fence in that house, that's idolatry. Picking up seashells by the seashell for retirement, idolatry. Buying a new car, idolatry. And the fact is, those things in and of themselves are not idolatry. And calling something evil that God does not call evil is wrong. It's wrong. It's adding. It's what the Pharisees did. Subverting the law of God for the sake of tradition. It's adding to the, to the law, right? And, 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 Perhaps personally for you, that's not a good idea. You will idolize your car. You will worship your car. Your life will revolve around your car. It's not like that for everyone. And if you understand how just a basic market economy works, you understand that buying a new car is not, it's not like you're just, oh, you're such a waste of money. You could have just fed the children in Africa. Well, yeah, you could feed the children in Africa, but do you realize where all that money's going? It's not it doesn't go into a vacuum and, and disappear. It goes into the pockets of those marketing, producing, um, advertising. Uh, all the people involved in getting that new car to you are now, they're feeding their families off of it. I, I don't know if people understand that, but it's not a sin to buy a new car. It's not a sin to have a nice house. If you can afford those things, praise God, it is a blessing. It is a blessing. And if you choose not to, that's fine too. There's nothing wrong with that. But we, we're at a point now, and this is where it, the in, it intertwines with the social justice stuff a little bit. Idolatry becomes um, this, something that is used to flatline sin. The American dream can be idolatry. American nationalism, we hear that. That's idolatry. Trump, you know, 
state worship and loving Trump too much is idolatry, right? This is how the social justice warriors weaponize the term idolatry um, to try to just fit anything that they don't like into that category. What happens if you accept Christian hedonism, I believe, is you you rearrange the hierarchy. Instead of joy being one fruit of the Spirit, being something, yes, we should have in God, it becomes the top of the chart. It becomes the end-all, be-all. And what that does is, is you create a new hierarchy, and it can flatline things that are underneath of it. In fact, now, like I just said, buying a new car could be wrong in some way. It's insinuated that it could be sinful in some way. And so, um, so having joy is the main thing. Now, someone who has, let's say, same-sex attraction or a homosexual orientation of some kind, right, against the created order. This isn't how God intended for things to be. It's not how he created things to be. This is actually a Freudian concept that this kind of orientation exists. Um, accepting that category and saying, well, I'm a, I'm a same-sex attracted Christian, right? Well, as long as you're pursuing your ultimate joy in God, then that, that can be kind of washed away. as That can be sanctified. Well, it's not a bad thing. As long as you're not uh, giving in to those desires and technically breaking a command of God, um, and at the root level, your heart is, everything's being put through that grid of joy in your mind, then having that orientation, that's not really sinful. Now, now we find in Scripture itself, you go to um, like Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So desires is part of this. And I, I just quoted from the NIV. I don't, I shouldn't have done that. I don't usually quote from the NIV. Uh, let's see if I can get a better uh, translation here um, of Colossians 3, 5 for you. Uh, New American Standard says this, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead immorality, impurity, passion, all right, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Passion, evil desire. Um, mortify those things. Consider the members of your body dead to those things. That's what we're told in scripture to do. We got to attack these things, buffet our bodies the way Paul said, discipline ourselves for the sake of righteousness. So that means, it, and I'm not putting it, because scripture doesn't do that, I'm not putting this in a category of orientation. Um, I'll put it in a category of sinful thoughts. If you have sinful thoughts about someone else, sinful desires, I mean, that's what a sinful thought is, right? You have this, you have a desire to do something sinful, then um, then you are called to mortify that. And so you, in the moment, you discipline yourself. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. Just, just like if you were, uh, let's say gluttony was your issue. And, you know, I really want, man, I want food right now, but you know what? It's wrong for me. It's gluttony. I find, I find uh, my comfort in that. Um, in fact, it's a health risk. I'm damaging my body, which is irresponsible to my family. I can't go and eat that, that, that cherry pie or whatever it is you want. Well, what do you do in that moment? You say, well, I'm just, I'm an obese Christian, I guess. That's my orientation. I just got to find my deepest joy in the Lord to overcome that, 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 that desire for cherry pie. My desire in the Lord must be more. No, no, you, you say in the moment, Lord, I confess this evil desire. I don't want to desire this right now because I love my family and I love you, Lord. And, and I know this is a sinful desire within me. Please forgive me. And you go on and you, you, put, you, you, you um, put on something else. You replace that thing with something else. I'm going to go and I'm going to read my Bible right now. I'm going to go and I'm going to do my job right now. I'm going to do something else. Occupy my mind with something different than that. That's what you do. That's hard work, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. But you're not sitting there and being like, oh man, my desire for this, that's the real problem. It's just that my desire for sexual relationship, it's, 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 it's too strong. It must, my desire for God must be stronger and somehow replace that desire for a sexual relationship. No, God gave you a desire for a sexual relationship. He gave you a desire for food. He gave you, gave you all kinds of desires. Those aren't bad desires in and of themselves. We're not playing a game of competing desires. These are natural. These are things God gave you. They're part of the created order. Now, you could try to um, fulfill those desires in ways that God has not authorized. That is the sin. If you're thinking of fulfilling those ways in, in uh, those things in ways God has not authorized, that is a sin. Sinful, sinful desire. You get rid of it. That's what you do. I hope, I hope I'm being clear enough on this. I'm trying to illustrate it for you as much as I can. But I was on that hamster wheel, um, and, and it's a hard hamster wheel to be on. It, it's 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 not merciful <laughs> it really isn't um and uh and i'm just so grateful that there's many people who read john piper and they don't come away with that but if you if you read them carefully then um you can see why people come away with that because it lends itself to that and i, I do want to recommend es williams videos on this i do want to recommend hey go through um the material that enoch burke put out there i'm not saying i agree with necessarily every single thing that he has but at the very least, um, uh, I, I think you ought to go through it and you ought, to, you ought to contend with it and see if there's anything accurate in it. So what's the bottom line? Let's tie up the loose ends here. Uh, I don't have time to go over everything, unfortunately, uh, that I wanted to go over. But uh, what, what is the main idea I'm trying to get across? Well, first of all, reason I'm doing this in the first place is because um, People have wanted an explanation on why John Piper's not fighting the social justice stuff harder. I don't know the rude answer to that. All I know is that um, his his teaching, which really has tinges of pietism and antinomianism in it, uh, that that opens himself up. I think to it, it's a weakness. Um, so the the whole you know you you can't partake in the American dream because it's sinful somehow because you're not desiring God enough. Well. It, that might be a more pietous understanding of things. But what that does is that actually it, it, you're paralleling a lot of the things that social justice warriors are saying. They have different motive. They're saying you can't enjoy the American dream because you're, you're, you've stolen that stuff from someone else. So it's about redistributive justice. But for John Piper, um, his, his goal is, well, because you want to be satisfied in God, right? That's the reason for it. Um, so, so you have that, and then the the antinomianism uh, would be, or the, the I don't want to say he's an antinomian, but the, the 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 tinges of antinomianism that I get, or neo no, I'm not even sure where I'd categorize him. He he, the law of God is not the primary thing. The um, in in um, in pursuing God, uh, in obeying God, the primary thing is kind of this esoteric, abstract, vague notion of having joy in God. And you can, when you do that, it creates a new hierarchy of sin and you can cram so many things in that. And you can have social justice warriors who say that. I mean, a lot of the reform guys love Piper uh, and they're social justice warriors and they think this is part of finding joy in God, right? Um, so so it, it, it just, as long as someone's finding joy in God, that's the big check mark they're supposed to to check off. And, and so it, it makes it difficult to oppose someone who thinks they're doing that or says they're doing that. So not saying that these are the primary reasons. There could be more. It could be, you know, he's got friends, uh, like MacArthur had friends, right, that abandoned him. Piper could have friends, not want to disrupt those relationships. 
I don't know all the root reasons for all of it, but this is these are some weaknesses that I've seen in Piper's core teaching. Again, not saying he's a false teacher. I know E.S. Williams says that. I don't, in my mind, I don't have enough information yet to do that. I've read a lot of his books. I have, but I haven't gone through it with a fine tooth comb and really dived into it uh, like someone like an E.S. Williams. I, I, I've seen some quotes from him that really, um, they, they, <laughs> they're borderline. I'll put it that way. Uh, they're, they're scary when I, when I read some of them. One of them actually I was going to show, I'll, I'll just, I'll just share it, uh, just to show you what I'm talking about here. Um, this is in an intro to a book by Tom Schreiner. Uh, he says the book is, uh, tackles one of the fundamental uh, questions of our human condition. How can a person be right with God? The stunning Christian answer is sola fide, faith alone. Okay. That's right. Well, then he goes on. He says, but be sure you hear this carefully and precisely. Okay. We're listening. He says, right with God by faith alone, not attain heaven by faith alone. So you're right with God by faith alone, but you don't attain heaven by faith alone. That's what he's saying. There are other conditions for attaining heaven, but no others for entering a right relationship to God. In fact, one must already be in a right relationship with God by faith alone in order to meet the other conditions. Now look, obedience to God is the result of justification. It's not the basis for it though. And in this quote, you find language that makes it sound like somehow works. Some of the meeting these conditions is a basis. Now for Piper, I'm assuming I went, you know, I, I, I was reading it and he didn't, he didn't specify really what that meant. I would assume for him, um, because you find a lot of maintenance language and I, in books like when I don't desire God, uh, that it's, it's, it's the constant fight for joy, right? Um, this is, this is sanctification. This is, but, but, but making that the basis meeting these conditions for going to heaven, if you really mean that, then we have false teaching. The problem is, I don't know if Piper actually means this, even if though he says carefully and precisely, I, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow guys. And I get it. I get it. I mean, I had this with all Moeller too. And I was like, he can't be pushing woke stuff. And then I started examining the facts. So I'm going to just say, I don't know, but I'm not calling Piper a false teacher, at least yet. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I've, I've benefited from a lot of things John Piper has put out there. Um, there are, uh, there are other books um, that he's written that I probably should read that I haven't, but I have read a lot of his stuff. And um, at this point, I, I'm not, I don't recommend Piper really anymore. That just happened naturally. It wasn't like a conscious uh, decision that I made about anything. Uh, so that's where I'm at. And if you're not where I'm at, that is perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. You don't have to be where I'm at. But but please, you don't have to then comment on the video that I'm doing, a, you know, I'm uh, me and, 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 and Enoch Burke because we're talking about this and we have concerns that somehow uh, I'm personally, you know, dragging his reputation through the mud and I'm misrepresenting and stuff. If I misrepresent, show me, show me where I'm misrepresenting. That's fine. Look, here's the thing. I, I, and I, I need to say this. I have noticed more than ever this year how celebrity-driven Christianity is. It is celebrity-driven. It disgusts me. Do not follow me because I have this microphone and I talk <laughs> from my wife's laundry room to you about issues that are important to me. Go to the Word of God. Check it out. Check what I'm saying against the Word of God. Check what I'm saying against the sources that I'm citing. Do not believe it just because I say it. 
Now I understand there's a certain level of trust. If I'm if I'm consistently right, you're gonna tend to take what I have, my commentary, and and that's fine. It's perfectly fine to say, okay, I, I'm gonna just believe what John says because I, I I trust his character and stuff. I get that. But if it's challenged, then you got to go back to the sources, and the Word of God is the source. The Bereans. Paul was an apostle, and the Bereans were checking out his revelation against previous revelation, and he commended them for it. So don't just trust me. I'm not the Christian celebrity, guys. Um, John Piper's not. Don't be just offended because Piper was your guy, and we're bringing up problems about Piper. Um, I, don't be offended if it's John MacArthur. Don't be offended if it's anyone, Mark Dever, Al Mohler, uh, whatever leader that you've liked. You like his personality. You like his teaching. Don't be offended. Check it out. Check it out. That's my encouragement. And if I'm wrong in the critique, let me know. But you can do it in a nice way, all right? Um, uh, and, and you can. It's fine to say I'm totally wrong. <laughs> it's fine to say that. But uh, but I, I assure you, the motive is not to destroy Piper here, which is what many have been insinuating here. And you you don't know that about me. So uh, anyway, let's talk about uh, the DC trip real quick. So I'm gonna give you a, kind of an update on that. Uh, I did go to Washington, D.C. I um, attended, so I actually got there sort of for the end of this. There was a uh, prayer march, and I was going to go to it, and then um, Judd Saul was there from Enemies Within the Church, and uh, he, he had a, a group with him, and, and they were going out to lunch, and, and he told me that it was, at, at the point, I guess, when I arrived, it wasn't worth it. So we, we just went out to lunch, um, met up with some some guys uh, that night, some other guys, um, uh, other ministries. Um, I'm not going to say all who who all, but uh, but but I'd say it was productive. Had some really good conversations with some folks. Um, the the main thing though that night was uh, I went to an event. Well, it was more or less an event. It was outside the Supreme Court building after uh, Donald Trump had announced from the White House uh, his Supreme Court pick, and of course, a lot of pro life folks there. There was a few pro-choice people. I was surprised. I thought there'd be a lot more. Uh, ironically, I actually have a picture of this. The The cameras were really focused in uh, on this one guy, one solitary guy with a sign uh, who, was a, who was pro-choice, who was pro-abortion, right? And you, you see this, like, this crowd of pro-life people, and the, the, the camera's right, <laughs> they're focused on this one solitary guy. I was just like, wow, that's, yeah, that's the media for you. Um, but, uh, while I was there, I talked to a number of folks, uh, outside there. And one of them was a member and this is what he told us. All right. I don't know, but he told us that he, he was a member at Mark Dever's church, um, Capitol Hill Baptist church. That's where he went. And a uh, young man, very nice guy. I actually really appreciate the conversation. Um, studying for ministry wants to be in ministry. Um, just, you know, I, I don't have anything against this guy personally at all. I just want you guys to know that, uh, man, I, the way people have treated my tweet on Twitter um, about this uh, just amazes me a little bit. But anyway, th this guy, um, this gentleman uh, is voting for Biden, though. And part of the reason is because uh, this is what he told me, that racism is a pro-life issue as well. And he gave me the whole womb to tomb you know, you're, you know, there's all sorts of these pro-life issues out there. And I gently tried to correct that. And I said, look, um, you have a command in scripture that's very clear. Thou shalt not murder, right? It's a murder. It's, it's against God's law. Now, these other things like, uh, you know, 
police practices and uh, you know whether or not we should have free health care and the, you know, these these are quality of life issues. They are not a they're not life issues. Um, I said if we you know he said racism is a pro life issue. I said look if there was a law right now that said you could go kill someone of a different ethnicity, I would be right here standing with you saying this is wrong. We need to stop it. We, it needs to end. And and it, interestingly enough, this is how I've seen a lot of the social justice crowd think. He went right back to 1619 and said, well, you know, it was he got a bunch of things wrong about our, our history. It was, it was legal to kill a black person. Um, it was it was there was laws on the books that said you could do it, uh, which no. Um, and I, I tried to explain we live in a modern state. That was an organic relationship that just it formed organically, the, the slave trade and stuff. It wasn't this systemic thing that, you know, everyone got together and voted, uh, hey, you know, you we really want to have slaves and by the way we we can kill like that that's that's not how that's not how it went down but that's what he believed and and i think the implication was that we're still dealing with the effects of that today so you know police shootings etc you know that i think that's where he was trying to go i kind of cut him off though and i was just like look you we don't have a law on the books right now there is no law that says you can do that but there is there is a Supreme Court ruling that says you can kill your child. Apples and oranges, man. And, uh, and so I, I think it was good. He didn't really have much to say to that, but he was, you know, I, and the final thing, this is actually sad. I said, look, you're a pastor now, let's say, and you're going to have a woman who comes in and she says, look, I was, I was raped or my, my boyfriend left me. I have a baby. I'm, I got an appointment in two hours to Planned Parenthood. And my parents said to come here and discuss it with you first. What should I do? And he, he, would, he kept saying, well, it's your choice. It's your choice. It's your choice. I can't make the choice for you. Well, that's sad. That's really sad. Now, I'm not saying Mark Dever thinks that at all. People are saying, oh, you're just saying, you know, you're trying to blast Mark Dever for, you know, as if he's pro-abortion. No, 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 no. I don't think Mark Dever's pro-abortion. This guy didn't think he was. He told me he was a political conservative and he's pro-life personally. So he didn't even think that. But, but here's... I kind of thought, at least for the people following me on Twitter, they had sort of a basic understanding of what Mark Dever has said on this. I want to play you this clip. Listen to this clip and then ask yourself this question. If this is the teaching that you're under at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and if you don't hear on an election year, ironically, teaching against, um, you know, trying to help people morally along to understand that you, you can't vote for someone who advocates something diametrically opposed to the law of God, like killing people. If you're not hearing that, and you are hearing what I'm about to play for you, could you not draw the conclusion that it's okay to vote for someone like a Joe Biden? Ask yourself that question. I think I know what the answer is. Here's the clip. Well, just, I don't have much time left to make people mad. So uh, what about one issue voting? I think one of the things that most separates white and black Christians in America is one issue voting. I think white Christians think this is the only moral way to approach voting. I think they've never thought of any other thing, generally. I think a lot of our African-American brothers and sisters realized like a long time ago that, well, there are going to be a bunch of different issues that are going to be affecting us. And I can vote for a candidate who I disagree with about some very important issues that I don't really think they're going to get anything done on. But I agree with them on these other issues that I think are going to help a lot of people. Can Even if you don't adopt that thought yourself, can you allow space for that in your church as a morally legitimate argument and option? 
one issue voting. And I'm not trying to say one issue voting is illegitimate. I, I, I'm saying I think that's clearly there is one way you can think through your vote and you can sort of champion that. But I think a lot of white evangelicals assume that's the only morally legitimate position or, or only position that could be argued to have moral legitimacy. And I would, I certainly would like to question that. Yeah, I think one of Satan's greatest successes is dividing uh, majority minority culture Christians politically in part through that particular issue. Uh, because you have a party on the right who's, 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 uh, who, who say is pro-life, a party on the left who demonstrates at least more overt concern for issues concerning minorities. And so Christians gravitate one, you know, majority culture Christians gravitate this way, minority culture Christians gravitate that way. Satan is psyched. Yeah. over the issue, I right? Agree. Because he yeah. sees division in the church and we don't trust each other and you're voting for them. Well, you must, you must not care about justice. I don't even know if you love Jesus, right? Uh, I question your Christianity and just rank division in the church. Um, and again, I think this is where we have to allow for Christian freedom. And remember Romans 14 and differently calibrated consciences. And the fact that we're united around the gospel and not how I work out my decision on who or who not to vote for. So I can understand, for instance, how a person might, I might not agree with it, but I can understand how a person might decide, well, <clears throat> look, uh, I'm, I'm pro-life, but, um, you know, there have been Republican pro-life quote-unquote candidates in the White House for the last number of, of decades, and yet the laws haven't been overturned. Meanwhile, I think this, let's just say, I'm thinking hypothetically, the welfare policies of these candidates has actually decreased the number of real abortions in such and such a state and actually brought the number of abortions down. So though they are pro-choice, I think that they've actually helped the abortion issues as opposed to your Republican candidate. Now, I might not personally agree with that argument. I might say, well, that's wrong for reasons X, Y, and Z. Nonetheless, I can understand how a Christian, in good conscience, could make that argument. And therefore, I'm going to leave space for that particular option for Christians. Unlike, now it's possible we can get to an issue, I'm going to vote for a pro-Nazi candidate, a Ku Klux Klan candidate, a Communist Party candidate in China. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restrict a bit more. It's, there are parties, there are candidates that I think are beyond the pale. And it's possible we reach a place in American history where we, we decide that's the case for certain parties, and I think some Christians already feel that way. Nonetheless, I would say I think we're still in a two-party system where Christians can, in good conscience, make different kinds of arguments, and we need to leave space for that last comment. Insofar as we don't, we risk, and I think we all know this, subverting Christianity and the gospel to party identity. And how's that going for us? Not very good, I don't think. I think one of the glorious opportunities you have if you're the pastor of a church is to build a kind of love and empathy and unity that the unbelieving world around you does not understand. And I think in an increasingly uh, fractured society, and I think there are economic motives behind that, uh, I think that they learn how to sell the base either direction, and they milk it, and they get money, they sell data, uh, I think there are a lot of powerful forces pulling us apart. And I think the local church is on the very front lines of displaying a unity in Christ that transcends those decisions.
So you can see there, there's a, a bit of a superficial unity um, that won't allow for voting for Nazis, but will allow for voting for someone who believes in the murder of babies being legal. And uh, so you heard it from Mark Dever himself. I'm not blaming Mark Dever in, in every way for this young man who went to his church and his decision to vote for Biden be, for his, the reasons he did. But I'm just saying the, the logic is allowed there. You can go to that church. You're not going to be challenged in that. Um, unless Dever did a 180, and I don't know about it. And if he did, let me know. But so far, I haven't seen anything. Um, more stuff about D.C. Um, so I met I, 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 I was in some conservative evangelical circles. We'll just put it that way. And one of the things um, I noticed, and I, I, I've said this before, I want to say it again. I'll probably say it again in the future. I really think in 2015, something really drastic changed, uh, happened in America. Um, the right cut a deal with the left that most of you probably weren't really part of, but it was, it was, the, it was the country club types. It was the, elite, the elites. They cut a deal. And here, here's the deal. We're not going to fight gay marriage anymore. And we're not going to fight uh, on, on uh, Confederate monuments. Those are the two things you can rely on us. We will never, those things, subjects will never be brought up. We're never going to, we're not going to talk about them. And, and here's, I said this at the time, I know others said it, when, it, when those two things happened, um, and I think it was the same summer that the decision on um, uh, the Obamacare came down as well. I, I was like, this is, this is not good. Like with Roe v. Wade, there was a continued fight. On these issues, there's not going to be. And I'll tell you why. Because elite Republicans looked on the gay marriage decision and they said, finally, we can get rid of those uh, bigoted evangelical Christians. We, they were, they've been embarrassed by the evangelicals for a long time. And they were finally saying, we can get rid of them, that this is their issue, you know, yeah, whatever. We don't care about this issue. Uh, we're fine with gay marriage. Now we don't have to fight it anymore because we can just say the Supreme Court passed it. It's, 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 it's uh, settled, settled now. And you will never find uh, Republicans fighting that anymore. Never. It won't happen. Even in the most right-wing evangelical political um, conferences, you're not going to find it anymore. They'll talk about the importance of marriage as between a man and a woman. They'll say the Republicans value that. Look at their planks on that. They will never go back and try to, like, let's say, let's pass a constitutional amendment or a law. Let's fight this. It won't happen. Um, the monument thing. 2015, you had the Confederate uh, battle flag, which flew over a monument honoring Civil War soldiers in Columbia, South Carolina. This gave Republicans an opportunity to say, finally, all those people who vote for us, those hick, hayseed, southern rednecks, who, you know, they, they don't think the war was over uh, slavery. They think it was about the right for a state to secede. They think their great, 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 great grandfather was just protecting his home. Um, but they embarrass us. They, they, they constantly embarrass us. We... We don't have to fight that anymore. Well, we've seen the consequence of this. Republicans and conservatives in general not, not seeing down the road five, ten years means all these other statues are now being targeted. All these other eras of, of American history are being targeted. Um, we see what's happening with now a pedophilia movement rising. You don't tell me the gay marriage decision didn't have anything to do with that. You're handing them the logic they need to rip it all down. And I said this at the time, and I said, it doesn't matter if you're a Southerner, the monument thing should be important to you. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian, this gay marriage thing should be important to you. I'm telling you, it's the wedge they'll use. It's the logic they'll use. You hand the logic to them, it's over. Well, I saw, and this isn't to overly discourage you, but I want you to be aware. 
that um, in conservative Republican circles, this is the logic being employed now by just about everyone. And people who say it sometimes think they're being, I don't know, they're owning the left. You, you can do this and point out hypocrisy, but you must be very careful. So the new left critique that America is now a crummy place, America is terrible, uh, it, it's just racist, it's sexist, it's homophobic, it's just depending on the flavor of the month, America is bad for another reason. We're, we're consumers, we're killing the climate, we're warmongers, that's America. What Republicans have gotten in the habit of doing now is they say, well, that's not true about America, but it is true about the Democratic Party. So they accept the full critique, but then they just blame the Democrats for it. Democrats are the ones that are the real racists. And then they go through a cherry-picked history of the Democratic Party to try to prove it. Now, you can find, certainly you can find things in the Democratic Party that are racist. Problem is, you can find a lot of things in the Republican Party that are racist too. And I don't typically go over them. I've mentioned them before. I don't want to, I haven't gotten to the point where I'm said, I'm going to do a whole episode on the origins of the Republican Party and how they wanted free white labor in the West. And uh, they were the ones that put the American Indians on the reservations. And they were the ones involved in colonialism during the Spanish-American War and the takeover of Hawaii. And, you know, the list goes on. I'm, I don't want to, I haven't wanted to do that episode yet. But, but here's the problem. The Democrats know how to do that. And the Democrats don't care about their history because they're revolutionaries. They're, they're fully committed to throwing the, um, the heroes of their party under the bus. Uh, look, at, look at Andrew Jackson. Look at Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, you want to go after Democrats, you're going to have to, roots go back to Jefferson. So good luck with that. Um, they, they have the Jefferson-Jackson dinner. They don't do that anymore. Those are pariahs. You can't talk about those guys. Now, they still honor Margaret Sanger, still honor MLK Jr., but they are, there are new heroes rising up in the ranks of the Democratic Party, and they will, they'll throw their past under the bus. Republicans value their past, so they don't want to throw it under the bus, and they think the Democrats value it too, and so it's owning the Democrats when you blame them. It's not. I'm just telling you, it is not. You can, it, the only thing it does is it points out their hypocrisy, but we're not going to win this political fight by pointing out their hypocrisy. We need to make arguments from first principles. Why is a monument or any history, it's not even, it's past monuments now. Why is the history of our country important? And the things that are true and valuable in that history, why are those important to emphasize, to train children in? Why? Answer that question. Why is it important to maintain marriages between a man and a woman for our civilization? Why? Answer that question, argue for it. This is, this is my whole thing. If we don't do that, I think we're sunk. I really do believe that. I, I, there's going to have to be another party that comes up that's willing to make arguments from first principles. Um, there, there's going to we, we're becoming untethered more and more from the actual principles of the founding of the country, and it's becoming um, and I, it's becoming an identity politics now on both sides. And um, and there's other things I can point out that I'm not going to, uh, I may in the future. There's other things I noticed over the weekend that clued me into conservatives are now playing identity politics. We can't do it, guys. We cannot do it. Uh, we, we have got to be stronger than this. So that, that's a warning, I guess. Um, but, but look, if you're going to talk about, let me just give you an example. If you're going to talk about pro-life and, and the right of the you know, child to live, uh, to not be murdered, then there's no reason to bring up the Democrats are racists. Now, you could bring it up, depending on the conversation, to point hypocrisy. I get that. But talk about the life in the womb. Talk about why life matters. Don't try to just um, vilify the other side based on a, a standard, based on their own standard. 
talk about why mur murder is wrong. If you're talking about um, gun rights, like we had this thing in Virginia, this big march, people are trying to make out that Ralph Northam is this KKK guy. Let's, that's not the reason you're marching. The reason you're marching is because you care about being able to defend yourself and your family and your state. Talk about that. Talk about first principles, guys. All right, I've said enough about that. Um, it was encouraging though, positive note. It was encouraging. I did run into some, some brothers that um, just, uh, they, they see it, um, they want to do the right thing. And, uh, and, and so anyway, I, I was blessed uh, to have some, some good conversations there and uh, wanted to highlight that as well. I want to play for you something more encouraging than all that. Some clips I was sent uh, about uh, from John MacArthur last Sunday night, and I'm going to leave you with this. These are some clips that he said, uh, things he said about critical race theory. And uh, just so you know that there is someone fighting out there, and, um, and here it is. Critical race theory, white privilege, all of that, says this. We come into the world as human beings with no immutable characteristics. We aren't created in the image of God because we aren't created. We're just evolutionary. So we come in as a blank slate. We don't have any innate characteristics or immutable characteristics. Even gender is not immutable. So, a kid who is born needs to make a decision. Does he want to be a boy? Does he want to be a girl? Whatever gender. And uh, I was reading about a mother who was trying to make sure she didn't let the white male patriarchy stamp her baby girl with female gender. She wanted her baby girl to make her own mind up on what gender she wanted to be. So she gave the baby trucks one day and dolls the next day, and then trucks the next week, and then dolls the next week. And according to the story, she came back one day and the dresses were on the truck. <laughs> Which is a perfect illustration of what the kid is going to end up being if you do that. Because you're basically, you're basically crushing reality mm. and substituting it with insanity. But why do that? You, you do that so that you can say, I'm not responsible for anything that's wrong with me. I'm not responsible. The white patriarchy, this systemic racist patriarchy that's run this, this culture for so long, has left its stamp on me. And this unconscious racism, this systemic racism that's in the groundwater of this kind of patriarchy is responsible for all that's wrong with me. But I'm not responsible. Um, so that's why the strategy is loot, burn, smash, destroy, because they want to take it back down to bare bones again and start all over with a new patriarchy the disenfranchised people will take over and they'll be the new patriarchy that will leave their stamp on the next civilization some of the things in my life obviously some of the deprivation some of the things came from my past but god holds me responsible for him personally and that's right ezekiel 18 the sins of the fathers uh, are not punished in the children. They're visited on third and fourth generation because a corrupt generation is going to lead to corruption that goes through subsequent generations. But God never punishes anybody for any sin that's any other than their own. 
And that was why when I first started talking about this, I started with Ezekiel 18, because if you turn people into victims, how, how do you then make them responsible as sinners? If I'm a victim, if I only am what I am because of what you did to me, then it's not my fault. And I don't like what you did to me, so I'm going to burn down your society, I'm going to burn down your stuff, I'm going to smash the windows in your store, I'm going to do everything I can to break everything to pieces, because you victimized me. That's Hmm. This is this is the noble thing to do is to crush this systemic kind of attitude. The, the bottom line question in systemic racism is what laws exist in America that are against any ethnic group? None. There are no ethnically designed laws in America. Was there a time in the past when there were? Absolutely. They were horrendous. And I, you know my story being in Mississippi. Hmm. In the years of segregation and marches and all of that, that's the first time you got locked up. First time you got locked up. Another one could be coming. This is a different country. Look, we have a, 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 a woman of uh, dark skin running for vice president. We had Obama as the president. We've had um, secretaries of state, people in all kinds of offices. Uh, there, there's, there's nothing in this culture that. Mm -hmm legally limits anybody based on race. So this isn't about that. What they want to say is that we are all victims of this reality. We came in clean and pure and you messed with us and we're not responsible for what we are. The only thing we can do to escape is break it down and take over. So uh, it's a very dangerous kind of thing. Well, I sure am thankful for Dr. MacArthur. I hope you are too. We don't have a lot of men saying those things that have platforms, and that makes me have even more respect for him. Um, he's absolutely right. And every, everything he said was absolutely right. Uh, this is, the critical race theory assumes that it is um, society and the power relationships in society and so forth that do the corrupting work. And um, it, it is antithetical to the morality of Christianity. There was a time Sure enough, in, in the past of this country where segregation laws were in place, that was wrong. And uh, we thank the Lord that we don't have those laws anymore. Unfortunately, we have, um, we have laws now <laughs> or decisions now that legalize things like homosexual marriage uh, and abortion. And uh, frankly, the immorality that comes in on our television screen, I think most people from eras past would be horrified by. But um, in that area... We, we have made significant progress in this country, and, um, and, and John MacArthur is exactly right. To, to use that as a wedge to try to condemn people, divide people, uh, guilt people, um, rip down the, the culture that exists and the um, society uh, and the social laws that exist that are fundamental to the, the society, it, this is not something that... Christians can be involved with it all. This is something that's absolutely antithetical and it should be condemned in the strongest terms. And I, I'm very thankful that John MacArthur's doing that. So let's pray that others start doing the same thing, that have platforms. Um, until next time, God bless and uh, enjoy your week. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. 
It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.